0: God bless you, and it's so good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming. I realize that it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there, so we bring the service to you wherever you are. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of James in James chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today and we'll also show those verses up here in the video for you just to make it easier for you to follow along. I'd like to talk to you today about living faith. You know, the last time I spoke to you, we had begun our journey through the book of James. And as we said when we covered the first chapter in this book, we had just completed the book of Hebrews. And James is the very next book immediately following the book of Hebrews. It's the next book in the New Testament Barbara Brit And both books were written to Jewish believers in the early church. But they're important not only to the Jewish believers and to the Jewish people, they're important to the Gentiles and the nations as well because God gave His Word to all the peoples of the earth. They're important to you no matter who you are, no matter where you're from. Now, we talked about James, in James chapter 1, we talked about the introduction to the book of James. We talked a little bit about James being the brother of our Lord in the flesh, the half-brother, if you will. He was, the, uh, he was the brother of our Lord, the half-brother through Mary. Of course, our Lord didn't have an earthly father. He was fathered by the Holy Spirit, and He was the Son of God since before time began. He, the Father, and the Holy Spirit have always been existing, Three in one. Not three gods, but three in one God. Can God exist in a way that is far beyond our understanding to, to comprehend and to wrap your minds around? Absolutely He can, and He does. Verses in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, also in the New Testament, talk about this unique way that God exists. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit speaking. Sometimes it's the Father. Sometimes it's the Son. And in Isaiah 48, verse 16 and 17, you see the Messiah speaking to the Father, and the Father speaking to the Messiah, and the Messiah saying, Now you, the Father, and His Holy Spirit have sent me. All three are mentioned in that verse there, in Isaiah 48, 16. But anyway, James is now talking to us in chapter 2 with the message that the Holy Spirit has given him to put into writing, so that not only the people who could read it then would be able to be benefited from it and edified by it and encouraged by it, but so 2,000 years later, you and I also would be encouraged and lifted up by it and encouraged by its message today, this much later this many years later. So let's look at James chapter 2. And when we go into James chapter 2, I'll tell you right up front, it's really constructed in two separate parts. The first 13 verses are going to talk about personal favoritism. In other words, not being respecter of persons. Just like your Heavenly Father doesn't treat one person better than another person, but He's equally merciful to one as he is the other. It doesn't matter if they're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if they're very high up in society or they're homeless and down in society and living on the street. God loves them both equally. He loves them both the same. And he doesn't give one person favoritism just because they have the pleasures of this world or they're wealthy or he doesn't deal with one person better than another person. And that's what the first 13 verses of James chapter 2 is going to say. And then we'll get into the second part a little bit later. So he says in James chapter 2 verse 1, My brothers, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and and fine apparel... And there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, You stand here or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You're showing partiality. You're showing favoritism. Verse 5 continues, Listen, my beloved brothers, he says, Has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor man. When you act like this, you've dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you're showing partiality and you commit sin, you're convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all of it. For he who said, don't commit adultery, also said, don't commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who is shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. Now let's stop for a little bit and let's talk about what these first verses in this first part of James chapter 2 is talking about. He's saying, listen, don't treat people differently just because... They may look different because they have money and wealth and this other person doesn't. When you do that, that's evil. It's an evil thought. And if you think about it, you're not being merciful to that poor person, but you're trying to favor this rich person. Why are you doing that? Let's be honest. Most of the time, people would try to do that because they feel like that rich person will be able to give them favor or maybe give them a gift of some sort, or support the congregation. And so we have all of these preachers, both in Judaism and in Christianity, that get up there and talk about money and money and money. Now many, many, many of the churches do not do that. Calvary chapels, and that's where we're coming from, almost go the other way. They hardly ever talk about money because they're afraid that they'll violate this very verse and they'll, they will think that uh, you're here just to give money to the church and so that that's what's going to be talked about. They don't want to distract from the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the teaching of the word of God. And so they go the other way and they say, well, we're not going to talk about money. But let's be honest, the Bible does teach about money. It teaches about tithing. It teaches about being a responsible steward. It speaks about how it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. We say it in Hebrew as Yotetov LaTet Melekabel. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now when you show partiality because someone is well-dressed And you've got the poor person over here sitting at the back of the congregation. And you offer this rich person a seat right up at the front, a very nice seat. And you care for him and you bring him a cup of coffee. But you don't do anything with that poor person. You don't go near him. Maybe he's dirty. Maybe he doesn't look like you. He doesn't dress like you. He just doesn't seem to fit in with the other people. Well, I want to tell you something, brother and sister, in Jesus Christ. The church is not a social club. It's not a social place for hanging out. And you could say with the online church, it's not a social media hangout. We receive everyone here. And we love everyone here. And we want to treat everyone here in the same way. When you treat that poor person the same way that you would treat that rich person, you're not being partial. But you're being partial if you treat this rich person better than you treat that poor person. You may be looking at that poor person saying, I don't know if we want people like that here because then other people will come here and they'll see people like that and and they won't come here and they won't tithe and they won't give anything to the church and how can we stay in existence if they don't? You're thinking about it all wrong. How can you stay in existence if they don't? I'll tell you the answer to that. God will help you. If you don't worry about asking for money and things like that, God will be your help. Your help is not from man. Your help is from God Almighty. He's the one that will help you. He's the one that will see you through. You don't have to look to anyone else. You look to God. And oh, by the way, the reason why that church is there is for the poor as well. He said in Isaiah 61, in the first few verses there, it says that the very mission of the Messiah is to bring the good news to the poor, to heal up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. That poor person is captive, maybe to some drugs, maybe to alcohol or vodka or something, but maybe he's captive only to bad circumstances that came his way. We all have bad circumstances that have come our way at one time or another. You don't know what he's been through. You haven't walked in his shoes. And many of the people that I've seen there in that situation on the sidewalks don't have shoes. You haven't been in his situation. You haven't been in that lady's situation who's out on the street, not being able to sleep anywhere. I remember walking through the underground subway that used to go across Allenby Street before it was stopped over. And it was right after Allenby Street started going south. And there used to be a subway that you didn't have to take the traffic light and you could walk underneath Allenby and go to the other side and go up the steps and be on the sidewalk on the other side of Allenby Street there in South Tel Aviv. And I remember one cold winter, I was walking through there. Because the traffic was pretty high up above and I saw one lady, she was probably in her mid-80s, 80-something years of age, sleeping in that rat-infested underground subway on a cold sidewalk, on a cold piece of concrete that was dirty, filthy, oily, dirt, no telling who had done what there. And there she was sleeping. A piece of folded cardboard was her pillow, an old sleeping bag, probably that she had gotten out of the trash somewhere, was what she was sleeping in. Was it hard on her frail, little, old body? I'm sure it was. I looked at her, we helped her, several times we helped her. She was one of the special people that we always saw a lot. She's probably not living anymore. It was a very hard life to live like she was living. Now, how do you think God would feel if I just walked on by her and said, Oh, I don't talk to her. It doesn't smell really good down there. There's no telling what kind of dirt is on that sleeping bag. I don't have anything that I can give her. I'll just just pretend that I didn't see her. How do you think God would feel if you felt that way? If you thought those thoughts? Here's what I know. God has sent you to the poor. Now yes, it talks about the poor in spirit. Those are the ones who realize that they don't have righteousness to get into heaven. And by the way, that's all of us. Because as we've said so many times before, God has said you have to be perfect to enter heaven. Who among us is perfect? No one. But you don't have what you need to get into heaven and so you realize that you are spiritually poor. So God sends us with the gospel to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to those who feel like there's no way for them to get into heaven. And once they hear that Jesus Christ died for their sins and that they can have everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven because of what He did for them. If they believe on Him and confess Him before men, then they will be allowed to enter the wonderful, beautiful kingdom of heaven and have everlasting life there with God in the kingdom of heaven. But not only did He send you to the physically distraught, to those who have mental poverty. But he sent you to those who have physical poverty. And that's what James is going to talk a lot about in the book of James, about caring for the poor, about not just praying for them, but actually doing something for them. Don't just talk to them. Do something. Talk with your hands. Give them food. Give them that blanket that they need Do what they need. Help them with that medicine that they need to stay alive and they can't afford. You do what you can. How much would that cost you? Would just not be going to the coffee shop for a day and then you could use that money that you would save to help that one person. I know there's many in Tel Aviv and South Tel Aviv and I know that many of you are watching now in Haifa and other parts of Israel as well as around the world. But the principle is the same, isn't it? When you see the poor, don't feel like, well, you can't help them all, so you won't do anything. You choose one. You pick one. You make that person your project. You spend time stopping by and taking the time to stop by, talk to that person. You bring them food. You bring them blankets. You help them where you can. If you have a place that you can take them into your own place, you do that. There's going to be times when some don't thank you as they should. There's going to be times when some maybe steal from you instead. There's going to be times in desperation where some of them try to shame you into helping them more or giving them more. But when that happens... Don't look at them, at what they're doing. Look past the face. Look past the angry words and see the need of the heart. That's what God wants you to do. He says, God does not look on man, a person, as man looks on someone. Man looks on the appearance. He's telling this to Samuel. He says, man looks at the appearance, but God looks at the heart. Stop looking at the appearance. Start looking at the heart. Then you won't find that anger. Then you won't find that evil that that person's trying to do to you. You'll look into the heart and you'll see the need that they have to know the love of God. You'll see the need and the emptiness that they have in their heart that Jesus Christ could fill and the peace and the happiness and the joy that He could bring to their life. And then instead of that frown on their face and anger, you'll one day see a smile on their face because they're now believers in the same God as you are. And they believe on Jesus Christ, the Savior of all. And so when you look at a person, don't give preference to those who are well-dressed, to those who have money, to those who look like you, to ones who you think will not offend anyone else at your congregation. But no, you extend mercy to everyone because you yourself have needed God's mercy at times. You certainly needed it when you came to Him. You needed God's mercy and He gave you mercy. But then in the Sermon on the the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So what does that mean? Well, obviously the opposite is also true. But if you're not merciful with others, you're not going to receive mercy. So if you treat this poor person over here without mercy, in other words, you don't actually do something to help them, but you ignore them and you turn away and you want to be with somebody else instead, you're not extending mercy to that person. So God says, if you don't extend mercy, I won't extend you mercy. And believe me, you need God's mercy. We all need God's mercy. So when He says, blessed are the merciful... For they shall receive mercy. You think about that verse long and hard. You think about it. That time when you're making that decision whether to help that person or turn around and walk the the other way and pretend that you didn't see them. You are withholding good that you could do for that person. You're withholding mercy. And then God will withhold mercy to you. So blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Don't show partiality. But now that rich person. Sometimes rich people will do something against you. Maybe they're trying to close you down because they want the place where you're meeting to be for their business or something like that. And you say, well, I don't like the rich people. They're always doing stuff against me. Okay, but look deep in their heart. You see the anger. You see the things that they are doing. But do you also see past the face? Do you see deep inside? Do you see that heart? And do you see the need for God in their life too? Do you think that they could change if God came into their heart? If Jesus Christ came into their life, do you think they could change too? Didn't He change you that way? He changed me that way too. And now we're different people, new creatures, a new creation. Because God had mercy on us and changed us. He looked past our sins and He saw our needs. In the same way, when you look at anybody, rich or poor, look past the physical layer, look past the appearance, and like your Heavenly Father, look on the heart. And then when you see the need, help the person. Encourage the person, not just with words, but you do what you can. Share your bread with them. Share your food with them. Share a blanket with them. Do what you can. If you have two coats, give one to him who has none. If you have two garments, give one to him who has none. If you have food, share that with him who has none. God will make it to where your food doesn't run out. God will make it to where you won't be cold when cold comes because you help someone else be warm. If you take time and do this, it will change your heart. God will give you a peace deep down inside that changes your heart. Everyone's looking for happiness. And they seem to think, oh, if I could just get money and buy this... Or if I could buy what that television commercial showed me. Oh, all those people were smiling as they were using that product. I just know that if I get that, I'll be happy too. That's what I want. And you do these things and you're never happy. It's always something else that's needed. But God is telling you here what you need to be happy in life. You love Him with all your heart, mind and strength. You love your neighbor as yourself. Who is the neighbor? Jesus told us, it's the one in need. Whatever the need is, the need of the physical person, the homeless, the need of the rich person to have true peace in their heart. If you help that person in their need, God will be merciful to you. Don't show partiality. That's what the first half of James chapter 2 is all about. Now let's talk about the verses of the second part of chapter 2 of the book of James. It says in verse 14 through 26, we'll start reading at 14. It says, Now what does it profit you, brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked, they don't have clothes, and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Oh, go in peace be warm and be filled, but you don't give him the things which are needed for the body, what does that profit? Does that help you any at all? Is that any good at all just because you said, oh, you blessed him, but you didn't do anything to help him? Verse 17 says, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works with it, it's dead. But someone will say, in verse 18 he says, but someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Oh, they're trying to just rationalize. They say, look, it's okay to have faith. It's, it's like a gift that God gives us. Some people have faith alone and other people have works. And we're called to different things. I'm called to believe and you're called to do these good works. And God's saying, no, that's not the way it is. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And James says, you show me your faith without your works And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, he says in verse 19. You do well, there is one God. Even the demons believe that and they tremble. What are you doing any differently than the demons? But do you want to know, O foolish man, he says in verse 20, that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. He says in verse 21, was not Abraham, Abraham, Abraham of our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac, Isaac, his son, on the altar. Do you see that faith was working together with the works? Abraham didn't just say he was going to offer his son. He actually pulled that knife up. He's going to stab his son. And the angel stopped him. And then God said, now I know that you believe. Wait a minute. God said after the angel stopped him when he was going to sacrifice Isaac, Isaac, his son. So Abraham didn't just say, God, I'll offer him up if that's what you want me to do. I don't need to make that trip over there to that mountain to offer him up. I don't need to make all that firewood there and make an altar and make him carry that wood and Tie him down on that altar and set it on fire and, you know, and stab my son. I, I'll do that for you if that's what you want. You don't need to send me there to do it. But God wanted to see that Abraham was willing to do this. And so Abraham's faith had works to prove that it was the faith of God. Do you see that faith was working together with works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture then was fulfilled, which says, it says in verse 23, Abraham believed God, and that was accounted to him for righteousness. That's in Genesis 15, verse 6, by the way. You think that you have to do works to be counted righteousness? The works of the law? No. Abraham believed God. And that was counted to him for righteousness. But notice something. That the belief, the faith that Abraham had just so happened to have works. But here's the difference. He was not using those works to try to earn his way into heaven. And you don't use works with your faith to try to earn your way into heaven because you're unrighteous. We all have sin. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have that sin, so we can't get into heaven. It's a sinless place. It's a perfect place with a pure and holy and righteous God who made heaven and earth where He dwells. And we cannot enter into His kingdom if we have sin. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave His life for us our sins would be forgiven. And now when God looks at us, He doesn't keep a list of all the things that we do right, and all the things that we do wrong. and He doesn't say, well, I don't know, they've got this many things they did right, but they've got this many things that they did wrong. We'll have to see how they live their life to see whether they're going to have enough to get into heaven. No, if you have any sin, you won't get into heaven without the Son of God, Jesus Christ, atoning for your sins. When you believe on Him and confess Him before men, the Bible says you will be saved. It says that in the book of Romans, in the New Testament. And now it says in Genesis 15, 6, and it's quoting it again right here in James 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 23. It says, Abraham believed God and that, and it was accounted to him for Righteousness. And Abraham was called the friend of God, it continues to say. Verse 24 then starts to wrap it up. says, so you see that man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, it says in verse 25, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Now, that's the end of our verses for part 2 of James chapter 2. But let's talk about that for a little while. Here's the difference. When you talk about works, some people think, well, see, the Bible is saying in James that you need works to please God. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying that you need works to be righteous. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying that you need works to enter heaven. No, he's not saying that at all. When people try to do works to earn their way into heaven, that's the wrong heart. They're trying to do it for the wrong reasons. And oh, by the way, the works that they're trying to do will fail. Because the faith that God gives just so happens to have works that come along with it. And the works that you do once you come to faith in Jesus Christ are not to try to earn your way into, king, uh, into the kingdom of heaven, but rather they are to say thank you to God for Him giving you the way into the kingdom of heaven through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the difference. Do you hear that? Let's say that again. The works that James is talking about come with the faith that you get when you come to Jesus Christ. The faith that God gives you comes with these works. They're things that you do. And basically we're saying that these are things that you do because they're dear and near to the heart of God. He wants you to help the poor. He wants you to care for people. He wants you to encourage them. He wants you to be hospitable to them, to spend time talking with them. You know, some people just need a listening ear so that they can tell you about what's going on in their life. That's a ministry you can do for nothing. But will you make the decision to do that? Are you too busy on your schedule? Take the time. God took the time for you. Somebody took the time to share Jesus Christ with you. And because of that, you're a new creature in Him. And your sins have been forgiven. Why don't you take the time to do that for someone else. And while you're there speaking of spiritual things, you help them with their physical things. You say, well, I just barely have enough for myself. Well, if you just give it out more, God would completely fill your place up with things that you need as well. It's just like gasoline, you know. I, you know, you go to a gasoline station where you take your car and you put that gasoline in it. And every once in a while, they have one of these big trucks that comes by and it fills up the gas station's tanks with gasoline, with petrol, as you would say, or benzene, or, you know, and, and then you would say that that truck comes by just to fill up the tanks. Well, what does that service station do then? Does it just keep the gas and say, oh, look at all the gasoline I have? This is so nice, all those tanks are filled. No, they give it out. They give it out. They receive it so that they can give it out. And you receive the blessings of God so that you can give them out. You see, God is trying to give you a heart like His heart. He's giving. He sacrificially gives. That's what we saw with His Son on the cross. He sacrificed His life so that we could have everlasting life. So even if it's a sacrifice for you, you give and God will fill it back up. God will bless you again, but He wants you to know that the kind of faith that He gives just so happens to come with works. It just so happens to come with works. Not so that you could enter the kingdom of heaven, but so that you can help others. And you're already on your way to heaven, but now these works show that you belong to God. Show that you're on your way to heaven. They're not to earn your way into heaven. They're to show that you belong to Him. And they're to show His love to others. Now what are you going to do with James chapter 2? What are you going to do with the message of this chapter? You can just ignore it. Or maybe you'll get distracted and forget about it. Maybe you'll learn it and you'll think, well, that's a good message, but... And then after a while, you forget about it because you don't do anything with it. Or you can let it change your life. God wants to give you real peace in life. He wants to give you the heart that's at peace with Him. A heart that's at peace. Even in your own life, you recognize the value of that, oh, I want that peace in my life, you're saying. When your heart is always focused on yourself, you're not going to be able to find peace. You won't find contentment in life. But when your heart is focused on loving God and loving others, there's something that happens deep inside that calms your own heart. It calms that storm and chases away the stress that the world tries to put on you. By showing others God's love and by caring for them as He cares for you, your own heart will finally be at peace. That's where happiness is. That's where peace is, is giving it out, not receiving. You'll be content and feel complete. God will calm that inner storm that's always been swirling deep down inside, down here. And He'll replace all of that stress with a quiet peace. A peace where you'll know that He's right there with you all the time. And that, you'll always, that He'll always be watching over you every step you take every moment of your life, you're safe in Him. That's what I'm saying. This is what God wants to do with you. When you take the message of James 2 and you put it to work in your life, when you make it a point to remember this message, when you make it a point in your life to live this message out every day of your life, then you'll have the peace of God in your life. And everything will be right inside. And your journey searching for joy will be over because you'll have the joy of God. Why don't you give your life to Him right now? If you call out to Him, He's going to hear that cry and He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from that darkness that always hangs over you like a cloud. and He'll shine His light through onto your heart and you'll be given newness of life. He'll change you into a new person. He'll throw all that bad history away and you'll be completely new, given a new start and He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. That's guaranteed by God Himself. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and Lord, to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. You can pray something just like this. Just repeat after me. Say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A seed's been planted deep down in your heart. Over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that God's making in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church, learn about Him and His Word, and talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do wonderful things in your life.